0: What's the goal of the FNF Coaches Podcast? We want you to learn something from the best coaches in high school football. We hope that you'll jot down some notes that will help you improve your program. Welcome to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is an expert strength and performance coach in Colorado, Rob Van Vulkenberg. Coach Van Valkenburg has trained Division I athletes as well as pro athletes in preparation for the NFL Combine. He now owns his own gym in Littleton, Colorado, where he trains high school football players year-round. April is Coach's Appreciation Month, and we at FNF Coaches are honoring coaches from all over the country for the commitment and sacrifice they've made during a challenging year follow us on twitter at fnf coaches as we announce coach of the year winners from each state and offer giveaways for coaches including a bundle pack that includes a drone if you want to receive a notification on your phone every time we produce our weekly podcast subscribe to the fnf coaches podcast on itunes spotify tune in or your preferred platform Go ahead and give it a five-star review. To check out new content each and every day, visit FNFCoaches.com. Let's get right to the interview with Coach Van Valkenburg. Coach, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Yes,
1: sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's been a, a kind of a crazy year in terms of strength and conditioning. Uh, last spring, summer, a lot of people were doing stuff at home and trying to get their workouts and maintain uh, how has the programming, strength, and conditioning changed in the last year for you?
1: Um, for me, being on the private sector side of things, uh, obviously with gym shutdowns and stuff like that, we've, uh, we've had you know, things to adapt to, but just like anybody else, you go from in-person to online, back to in-person, then back to online, and just figuring out a way that you can accommodate for your kids um, while still getting them good work and understanding the situations that they're in. And uh, we've kind of been fortunate being, like I said, on the private side of things, having uh, be the landing point for uh, some school programs and stuff like that to, to send their kids and, and be able to provide them with a full traditional season while still uh, training within their team setting.
0: Yeah. And and one of the things I loved about, uh, I just read a story that you had submitted to us at FNF Coaches, and that'll be included in our next edition and what I really appreciated was um, you, I think, had submitted it like a year ago, but it was just about the ways to keep guys motivated and keep guys positive. Uh, and it, it's so appropriate now with guys who, you know, some of them had, have not had seasons or had shortened seasons, had game canceled. And it's difficult because uh, high school athletes, I find, to be motivated on, on the goal, the outcome. You know, they want the wins. they want They want their game film to look good, but they're... It's sometimes it's tough to motivate them uh, in the day to day to get there. And I think that mental uh, performance side of things is is so important this time of year. How much more uh, attention did you ha- do have you had to pay to that in the last year?
1: Oh man, a ton, a ton. You know the the thing about like fourteen to eighteen year old kids is it's an emotional roller coaster with them every day you've got it you got some select kids that are going to be you know the same guy every day but it seems like the majority of them it's it's peaks and valleys right so it's it's finding ways to make sure that they stay level-headed and you know they're they're 100 of the kids that, that I've worked with over the last year have had moments where they've hit lows and it's being able to kind of identify those and then figuring out you know what do we need to do to correct it you know like if you get a you get a kid in and you can tell that things are off for your group. Things are off with your group. You know, maybe you pivot and you you go from okay, we were going to do a heavy, you know, grind out squat day to to a day where we have some fun and we do some competition stuff. Um, you know, in in this setting, uh, this is like the the kids' only outlet for the last 12 months or so. In terms of you know, they've been locked up in their house. They're playing more video games. They're sitting more. They're not they're not being as social as they've been in the past. So this can be their only outlet. In terms of physical activity, in terms of their ability to release uh, and le- release those good feelings that they need to have from being around their teammates and being physically active, and so it's been—it's uh, definitely been forefront, more so even than than you'd say the performance gains of it. Of you know, just how can I take care of these kids' mindset and and make sure that they can continue to enjoy being a kid? Because I mean, if you look at if you look at numbers, depression levels are through the roof, kids' anxiety levels are through the roof. Um, and a lot of kids that I work with, man, they they go to school so that they can play sports. Uh, and that's, the, I mean, that's the, that's the reality of it with, with a lot of kids. And, um, if you take that away from them, they've got to figure out a way to, uh, to have an identity of who they are and have a, uh, uh, some self-confidence to them and feel good about themselves.
0: Absolutely. And I know that you've uh, you've trained Division one athletes before you've uh, trained guys to prepare for the NFL combine Uh, and you see some of that going on now. I don't think there's a combine this year, but there's definitely these individual workouts. You know, I think today I was just even watching Twitter and I think um, Alabama had their team workouts with guys running the 40 and doing those types of things. Now, at the high school level, which, is you know, you said 14- to 18-year-old guys. that's Our audience is mostly high school football coaches. What is the most important thing coaches should be focusing on at this time of year?
1: Well, um, assuming you can be back in a full setting, uh, I think looking at what their activity level has been over the last 8, 9, 10 months. Here in Colorado, it's unique. Uh, we have two football seasons. So we had a fall season and we had a spring season. I know that's not the case for most people, um, but what what you got to look at is where your athlete's at now. Um, I always believe that you look at, with the end game in mind, um, and for me, a football player, I want to have a very strong, fast, physical athlete who can handle pretty much anything that's handed to him. So this time of year, I am four months into my off-season, I've installed my strength uh, in terms of we've reached base levels of strength, and now everything's looking at how can we develop speed and power. Uh, and then also having a little bit of sprinkle in with conditioning, just because I know that we're, we're rolling into we're about a month away from May, which is when heavy off seasons really begin for, uh, for a lot of programs. So I think it's looking at, okay, number one, do you have a base level of strength? So have your athletes been in the weight room? Or have they gotten stronger since December? And then taking that strength, and transitioning it into power, which if you look at power, that's essentially higher weights, move faster for lower reps. And then uh, also looking at what are you doing as on an on field standpoint in terms of your speed, de- speed development. If you run, uh, you know, pretty much any program outside of a, a triple option, you're going to need to have uh, a team full of guys who can move. And the days of having, uh, you know, kind of a bulldozer type player on your team are they're far gone you need to be able to have a team full of guys who can who can be agile and i think that that's how you got to approach your program especially when we're looking at this age groups in terms of that 14 to 18 year old we need to have them strong yes that that's got to be the foundation of everything but beyond that they've got to be powerful and they've got to be able to move and that that goes into what you're doing on the field in terms of your speed development Um, and then also your conditioning if you look at you know i never want a kid to walk into fall camp out of shape right so we don't want to spend any time in camp conditioning so that conditioning needs to start right now if you're going to take a true approach to it i think a lot of people you know they they start doing that late june and into july and it's just too late if you really want to do it in a way that number one improves speed and number two doesn't put too much of a load on these guys when they're doing a lot of other physical activities
0: yeah preventing injuries is so key and that kind of brings me back, you had mentioned earlier, like one of the one of the harder days you might have in mind for guys. And if they're not feeling motivated, you might uh, be flexible and shift from it was a big, heavy squat day. And the squat, I think um, you hear the football, you know, football community, football coaches talk about it the most and kind of differ on the way they teach it, the way they test it. Um, you know, some coaches like the front squat, some like back squat, some like overhead squat, and then you hear, you know, different variations too. Um, in terms of teaching it, I've heard people say, you know, you start with the PVC pipe, you go with the overhead squat, you make sure the, uh, position is perfect. And you don't, you know, you don't want them out over their knees where they're going to risk injury. You want to make sure they have that flexibility in their ankles. How do you teach it?
1: Well, I think it gets pretty individualized. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think. We use a screen with all of our athletes. So uh, there's a functional movement screen, FMS uh, FMS by a guy named Gray Cook. We use a variation of that in terms of how we look at their ankle, knees, hips, and then their chest ability to stay vertical. Um, I'm not a big back squat, big back squat guy. I would pr- much rather prefer a front squat. Um, that said, we do back squat uh, at certain points throughout the year. So if you're looking at how you're going to teach a back squat, it starts with body weight, I believe, in uh, isometrics. So when you first get a kid in, and this is great for any, any player in your program, but especially great for those incoming ninth graders or a multi-sport athlete who's just getting back into the weight room, is an isometric hold. So when you look at the first two weeks of our program, and you get them down to the bottom position of a squat, and you have them hold somewhere between 20 and 40 seconds, usually start at 20 and increase that time, over a couple of weeks uh, and what's really nice about that isometric position is as a coach you can work the floor and i believe that a lot of times athletes b- being able to like physically have you, you got flatten your back out stick your chest up help them get into the position it's going to teach them how it should feel at these lower positions right like there's a big debate about back squats and and depth um how your knees should trace over the toes all that stuff and you know, is is 90 degrees exactly what it should be, and and the jury's out, everyone's got different beliefs on it, but I think every athlete should understand how it feels at those bottom positions, because then once you start layering a full range of motion, um, whether you go, I like to go from an isometric to an eccentric, and then to a regular full squat, so once you get to a full squat, it's important to know how it should feel at the bottom, because athletes are are intelligent, they're able to sense exactly if they've hit depth, and then they can go from there, so For me, I teach a squat starting out first two weeks or so on an isometric. I'll do about two weeks or so on a slow eccentric. So that's where you take between three and five steps controlling the weight down, put a slight pause at the bottom, and then come up. And then once you've reached competency with that, then we'll go right into it. I know a lot of people, they don't like to do a goblet, or they don't like to do a back squat unless you can goblet squat your body weight for reps. I just don't think that's realistic for for a lot of athletes. So I think once you taught the foundations of it the athletes understand how it should feel then you can start getting going and the, the biggest thing is to just understand you're not going to win the olympics you know you're, this isn't the weightlifting world championships we're just trying to get athletes who can bend um have a load underneath them it is important to, to train your tendons and your muscles so that they can withstand the physicality of football but uh teaching them to to move through the range of motion properly and then taking your time slow cooking it before you get into any type of max testing
0: yeah. Now I, I, speaking of testing uh, coaches are kind of differ on which exercises they'll do for those uh, you know, they, they'll have test days they'll form a lot of coaches split their players up into teams of, you know, 10 guys each and they'll have them compete against each other on max test day. It seems like you'll see a lot of um, cleans squats bench uh, are kind of three main ones that a lot of the teams test on. Um, but then, you know, I've been in a CrossFit gym before where you hear instructors make fun of people like, Oh, let's do bench and then curls. And the, and those aren't, cause they're not as functional. Um, what are the ones that you recommend for high school football testing days?
1: So I probably differ from, from uh, a lot of, a lot of programs. I am not a huge believer in strength testing. I, I think that the, the most dangerous thing we can do in the weight room is put an athlete under a heavy one rep load. Now, uh, when, when we're in the weight room, we're training abilities, and the absolute best ability is availability. And uh, for me, putting a non-seasoned athlete, even if you're 18, you've been lifting for four years, you're a good athlete, um, putting an athlete under a one-rep load, I think, you're, I think you're rolling the dice. Uh, I mean, you look at a max clean in most places, and a one-rep max clean is an ugly thing, right? right. And you know, for me, I'm going to test metrics that are going to improve performance. You know, we're training athletes. We're not training bodybuilders. So I'm going to look at, I use, uh, going back to the on-field side of things, I'm going to look at a 10-yard acceleration. I'm going to look at a 20-yard sprint, or a flying 20. So build up to a flying 20. I'm going to look at a med ball throw. So I'll use, uh, like, a skills position. We'll use a six-pound med ball, big skills. So for me, that's linebackers, tight ends, fullbacks. they will use a 12-pound med ball, and my bigs. They're going to use an 18-pound med ball, and we're going to throw that for distance. Um, That's a pure power. So if you think about uh, the goal of an Olympic lift is to create triple extension. So that's where your ankles, your knees, and your hips all extend at the same time, which I bet you 99% of people who do a power clean max don't hit triple extension. But you will, in an overhead med ball, throw. So it's the exact same thing. We're training power, and we're measuring power. So those are are my three big ones, right? 10-yard acceleration, a flying 20, and then a med ball overhead throw for distance. And I actually had this, this conversation with a uh, the strength coaches at Colorado School of Mines a couple of months ago, and we were talking about testing for the power clean, right? And uh, we were talking about how a power clean doesn't win games, but a power clean will make you faster in the 10, and being faster in the 10 might win some games. So we're going to measure the things that are going change, to change the scoreboard for us, and we're going to train for the things that we measure, right? So we're going to train our power clean uh, – And then we're going to measure the kind of the on-field tangible things. That said, I do test the bench press just because it's fun and uh, (laughs) the guys love it. And I think that the risk, the risk is much lower. Uh, But, but for me, where I'm at in my program right now, I'm not testing uh, the back squat or the power clean, just the bench press and the on-field stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We talked to the Hoover coach, Josh Niblett last week, and he was saying, you know, kids love bench press. They just want to get on there. They want to see what they could do. And he said, it's surprising because high school kids aren't very good at it you know it's one of those things that you seem to get better you can get better into your 30s just because you know you've been doing it for 15 20 years but uh high school kids love to do it anyway and he so he does the same thing he's like hey if they love to do it we'll put them under there they can test on it and then you know we'll do the more important things that he wants to do now in terms of speed training you mentioned how you test them are there uh, drills or um, you know specific things that you have the guys do that you find trans or correlate to faster performances in those in those two testing drills? Yeah, I mean it, it's all about learning how to run.
1: Right? right. So we, we, we break down running into to pretty segmented things. Whether it's we call it our linear A series, so um, it's called an A march and a skip and an A run. Essentially, just like a high knees. A skip and then a, a very fast high knee but we teach them how to run we teach them how their body position should be and then we we just let them compete you know uh, i think people people over complicate speed training with it happen to be this you know very technical thing where we're getting perfect angles and our arms and our hips are very synergistic i think that the fastest way to get faster is to run as fast as you can and the fastest way that you're going to run as fast as you can is to compete against somebody so for me, I believe we, we teach them how to run properly. So we teach them, you know, how our foot strikes the ground, how we push off the ground, um, and then how we how we exchange thighs into a stride. But beyond that, we just we just let them compete. You know, we do we do a ton of uh, you know cat and mouse games, kind of ton of reaction games, and then we do a lot of our build up to sprint work where we're looking at um, you know maybe it's a a flying or a ten yard acceleration into a flying thirty. Or something like that, but uh, in terms of training for those tests, you know, we we teach them how to run, and then we we let them compete, and we, we just kind of let them get after it. And I think that ties back into the kids enjoying training. You know, if uh, you're out there, nobody really likes to run. Uh, like the kids don't don't get excited, and they're not like, man, we're going down to the field to do some sprints today. You know, no one no one gets fired up for that. But if you can make a a, a competitive environment around it. The athletes are going to get faster, and they're going to have more fun, and you're going to have more buy-in with your program. So I think you know, teach them how to run, and then just let them rip, let them let them be kids, let them be competitors, and you're going to see some improvements in those uh, in those testing numbers.
0: I think that's smart because on game day, you don't really want them thinking like, "Hey, am I running properly? Am I running with the right technique?" You want them to do what you're saying, which is react and compete, and um, yeah. so that's the way to teach it. I think. Um, now, in terms, always
1: tie it back in. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Started, we always tie it back into Tim Tebow, right?
0: Tim Tebow had that awful release where he always
1: dropped his hand down, right? Yeah, yeah. And they spent years trying to train that out of him. He spent his whole off season with private QB coaches trying to keep that ball high to get a faster release. But the second he got under pressure, that hand drops and goes right back to what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that with athletes, right? We have athletes that look phenomenal uh, in speed training. They get on the field. and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, you look terrible. Right. You know, and it's just because. No, it's not going to be perfect in competition.
0: Yep. Yep. No, it never is. Um, now that we hear coaches all the time, you know, they talk about in season training and um, you know, this is the time of year, like you said, to develop strength and then speed. And you want to come in in shape uh, when they get back to it in August or late July. Um, but then there, it seems to be kind of a transition where you want guys to be sharp on Friday nights when they're playing, you want them to be rested, you want them to be, you know, peaking, basically, uh, on Friday night. So the it seems like the in-season, it's a lot about maintaining and just trying to keep your numbers where the, where you got them, you know, heading into the season. Uh, what things can you do now, you know, in the spring that you really can't do in-season? In terms of
1: hypertrophy, so putting on muscle and size, that type of stuff, that's stuff that you're going to want to uh, accomplish right now. You know, you look at in-season training, and the biggest thing is you need to limit wear and tear while still keeping them powerful, right? The uh, Later in the season is when games really matter, and you want to be strong and powerful during that time. So, obviously, you need to train in-season, but you can't impact high performance, right? So, the way that they practice, the way that they play can't be impacted because you, you know, gave them five sets of eight on a back squat on Tuesday. All right. So, right about now is the time where you're looking at, okay, what guys need to put on strength? Or need to put on size, need to put on muscle, because those are the type of workouts that we can be doing, you know, right now and then all the way through July. In terms of those really grind out workouts, where, you know, you're you maybe you're going five by five heavy on a back squat or five by five on a front squat, or you're doing, um, you know, where you're heavy deadlifting that type of stuff, and you're really building up your muscular capacity. So you're building up, you know, how much strength do you have, and then. Like we talked about earlier, transferring that strength into power, the closer you get to to in season and the later that you get into season, that's the more power that you want to be training for. So, you know, like we might have this week, see, this week on front squat, we're going four by six, right? So we're getting 24 total reps. Now in season, we might go eight by three, right? So we're getting pretty similar reps. But it's very different in terms of the way that the body understands it. So if we're going four by six, those six reps are going to be pretty hard. They're going to be maybe 75%. um, And you should have some good soreness after it. Now, eight by three, very similar rep scheme in terms of total reps. But that eight by three is not going to put on any more fatigue because we're only doing three reps. We're moving it fast and we're maintaining power. So uh, total work might be the same. But the wear and tear on the body is going to be much higher at this point in the year.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That reminded me when he said that. um, I was watching a video the other day, and it was LeBron James. And he was doing, like, heavy squats on the day of a game. And I'm thinking, is that, A, because if you do it on the day of the game, you're not going to have the fatigue or soreness that you might feel the next day or even two days later. So is that why he's able to do it? Or, B, is it just like we've seen over the last 20 years, LeBron's a freak and, you know, he can do whatever he wants.
1: Well, LeBron is a freak for sure. <laughs> right. um, but, but uh, it's a central nervous system thing. So uh, training on game days is something that I think is uh, extremely smart mm-hmm. if you do it right. Um, so, you know, you want to train in a, in a very ballistic way on game days and it's got to be time built the right way. Now you don't want to go in there and be like, all right, guys, we're going to do four uh, by 12 on bicep's and uh, you know, uh, ten by ten on on pull ups, and then let's go play. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's heavy move very fast, and it's gonna prime your central nervous system. Uh, if you remember the sprinter Ben Johnson from mm-hmm. the from the nineties, yeah, his his strength coach used to set up a squat rack in the tunnel, and he would do a one rep max squat, and he'd go out and he'd line up. Granted, he was on every steroid in the book, <laughs> but it works, right? Uh, not the steroids, the the one rep max squat, right? Um, but priming the central nervous system is, is extremely important. That's why you see guys, uh, like if you look at most sprinters before they take off for the hundred meter dash, they're doing like a tough jump where they jump up and they tuck their knees. Mm-hmm. That's a maximal effort movement for them. And if they're about to go into a sprint, then that that's going to be really important. So, um, uh, yeah, day of training is, is all about that central nervous system activation and make sure that you're, you're primed and ready to go.
0: Yeah. Now I wanted to ask, um, you know, because high, high school kids, it, it's not like you're training Ben Johnson where he's, you know, doing or I shouldn't even use Ben Johnson because I was going to say, like, you know, hydrating and, you know, eating all the right yeah. things and, you know, b- taking care of their bodies and all that stuff. He kind of took care of it in a different way. But um, yep. how do you ensure the guys that you're putting all this work into in the weight room and making sure that they're ready to go uh, are doing the right things once they get out in terms of hydration and nutrition and rest?
1: Yeah, I think it, it all comes down to education for them um, and really instilling with them, you know, when does hydration start? You know, hydration for a Friday game doesn't start on a Friday morning. That's got to be something that is a daily thing. And uh, for, for me, I don't think that nutrition on a game day should change too much from <clears throat> nutrition for the rest of the week. If you really look at it, you know, you should be fueling your system the same way for practice as you would for a game because... If you're serious about being an athlete, then those are kind of the steps that you need to take. Um, and, you know, so, you know, little things like 1.5 ounces of water for every pound of body weight, um, or, you know, you just have guys carry jugs, of, you know, gallon jugs of water around and just really making sure that they understand the importance of it. And we, you know, we, we talked to them a lot about uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, the best ability being availability. And if you're not taking care of your body from a nutrition and hydration standpoint, yeah, you know, you're you're not going to be able to play because you're going to be the guy at you know game two. It's the first week of September. It's 95 degrees and you're you're on the sideline cramping. So it's it's getting them from an educational standpoint, and then I mean you know as well as I do with uh, 16, 17, 18 year old kids, they they forget it like that. So we have a messaging system that we use um, that that'll go out. You know, once a day, they'll get a, they get a message, they'll go straight to their text message in terms of, you know, have you hit your hydration numbers, or it'll be, it'll be specific for the day in terms of have you hit your hydration numbers. Um, Sundays, they'll get one that says, you know, have you done your meal prep for the week? That type of stuff to, to kind of constantly be in their ear about it, but also
0: give them some education in
1: terms of why it's important. hmm
0: What, so is that an app that you use to notify those guys or... We use, uh, we use
1: team builder. Okay. It's
0: a, uh, it's a software for strength and
1: conditioning, yeah. it's got a mass messaging system. So I can, I have all the athletes in, you know, they have select groups. So you can, you can message all your groups or just, you know, one or two groups. It's, it's super easy.
0: And you, you also use that for, do you put in their, their workout for the day and they enter their weights and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, that was a COVID thing for us. Yeah. Um, right, right when COVID hit and we needed to switch to a, virtual system we want team builder and it's been really good so far so they have you know no matter what it is they have a video demo for it they can provide notes if uh like during covid we had a lot of guys that were out doing just speed work right because that's what they had available Mm -hmm. and so they could video they shoot a quick video on their phone upload it to team builder we could give them a quick assessment on you know hey you know work on this arm mechanic or something like that but it's a really really good software um for communicating with your athletes and we got it just for the strength and conditioning, but I use it much more for the communication side of things than anything else right now.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Are there any other apps that you use uh, in the weight room? Uh, not currently we, uh, I guess that's not true
1: I, We have one called vert which uh, which is a vertical jump tester, but uh, that's about it that we use we use in the weight room. I try and we use the team builder by trying and have the weight room be a technology-free zone as much as possible. I like, uh, I like pen and paper and kids not looking at a screen for an hour.
0: Yeah, we hear that a lot from high school coaches is, you know, guys get distracted. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're texting or on their snap or something like that. So uh, I yeah, get we, that.
1: We tried it. It just did not work. Yeah. It just did not work, man.
0: Yeah. Um, what about uh, in terms of equipment? um is there anything that you found that you know would obviously fall within a high school football budget because those those can be tight at times but any any new equipment over the last few years that you found that every coach should know about
1: yeah um the biggest thing that's that's jumped into our program the last two years is the landmine uh which is an attachment that pretty much goes on any rack and uh you know, we, we we talked earlier about like the the power clean and the importance of that triple extension in terms of your ankles, your knees, and your hips. Mm-hmm. There's about a dozen landmine movements that you can do, and you could just give a 14 year old and just show him one time he's going to hit that triple extension. Um, so the the landmine has been a phenomenal thing for us. We do we do everything from like a landmine push press, which is about as explosive of a movement as you possibly can. You can really load that up too. So we do. Uh, like a landmine rows where you landmine RDLs. And it's a very, very space efficient thing. All you need is a barbell and you don't even need a landmine attachment. You can just stick it into the corner of your weight room or into the, the hole of a plate and be able to do a lot of the movement. So that can be almost a, uh, I think my landmine attachment was like $50. Huh. Um, so th- I think the landmine was, is the number one thing that, that every program should use, you know, especially if you're a budget restricted program, Um uh, the landmine is a phenomenal, phenomenal tool. And they're making a lot of attachments for barbells that go into landmines. So if you go to, like, uh, Titan Fitness, there's a whole line uh, of stuff. So you can do uh, rows. You can do any type of push press. That type of stuff with, with the landmine. And it's it's phenomenal. And kids grasp it because it's just, like, it's easy for them to understand, you know, I, I need to get this from my shoulder overhead as fast as I can, and they, they can just nail it. And then beyond that, we, we wound up buying some battle rope battle rope anchors which are like $12. And we use that for everything from uh, like in the wintertime to do speed development in the weight room. You know, if you don't, if you can't sprint, you can strap a a resistance band to a wall mounted battle rope anchor and still do uh, resisted runs. You can still do resisted broad jumps. We do a lot of core work off of there too, with our like anti-rotational core movements. Um, and that for, for the cost has been just phenomenal. We probably use it at least twice every workout. So the, I, I'd say the landmine attachments and the battle rope anchors have been just paramount for us.
0: That's, that's interesting. Yeah. That'll definitely be helpful for coaches to, to hear about those products. Cause they're, you know, not dialed into strength and conditioning 24 seven. Like you are, uh, in terms of you, you had mentioned, uh, in your article that you wrote, you know, the, the, um, I guess the need or the importance, I should say, of building confidence in high school players in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And um, I talked to Hoover coach, Josh Niblett, like I was just saying last week about strength and conditioning. He has a strength and conditioning background. And I asked him what his, his weight room should look like, what he wants it to look like. And he said, total chaos. It should be guy, you know, bars oh, moving yeah. all over the place, yeah. you know, yelling, screaming, supporting each other. And, um, you know, that way. And, and I was trying to think of how that would translate to building confidence, and it's everybody supporting each other, obviously, and rooting for each yeah. other. So you have guys pulling in. What What does your lo- weight room look like when you have a uh, you know a group of guys in there, and how do you keep people motivated?
1: Yeah, I think uh, fast and loud yeah. is the goal. Um, you know, I I I am a big believer that environments dictate outcomes and uh it's on the coach to set the environment right everyone's everyone's seen that coach who just kind of puts the workout on the board and sits over there with his big gulp and he's just like all right let's go right you're not going to get anything out of that but if you get a coach who comes in there and he is he is fired up right he's on 11 then the athletes are going to feed off of that (laughs) and i like the term fast and loud because athletes they need a little bit of external motivation right so we've always got music up right obviously when it when it's when it's appropriate we can have we have music up and we we don't let guys walk in the weight room so um you know even if it's a walk with a bounce they're they're moving from from station to station and it's a high tempo thing right and we we set that but the biggest thing is holding the holding the coaches accountable with that right because we've got to have that every single day if we do it on day one of the program and day three we slack a little bit and day four you know it, it continues down the coaches have to set that environment every single time so for me, fast and loud, uh, moving weights fast, and then having it be in, a, in an environment that, that kids really enjoy being in. And if, if you enjoy being in an environment, right, there's going to be less apprehension right, from you as a, from a personal standpoint. And when you start having less apprehension in your life, your confidence out, automatically grows, right? When you stop having second-guessed thoughts, you start feeling more comfortable in a team environment, uh, your your confidence grows, right? It's just it's going to happen, and so I think that's that's the biggest thing. It's is you set the environment, you set the standards from what you're going to accept in your weight room, and then you just let the kids go. You let them uh, you let them have fun. Obviously, you push them, but uh, you you let them have fun. You let them be kids.
0: Now this year, obviously, recruiting has been affected by uh, the pandemic, and so and when you look at these recruiting bios, it's funny because you know you, before you even see their GPA. Sometimes you see, you know, they'll list their 40 time and it just seems like high school kids can become obsessed with the 40. Uh, You know, there's the 5-1 guys who want to get under five or the 4-8 wants to get down to Mm -hmm. 4-6. What is the one like if a guy comes to you and says, hey, I want to drop two tenths off my 40 time. What is that process for you? Do you say, all right, well, I need to see you run? Or do you give them, like, hey, this is one piece of advice I give everyone. You know, run Mm -hmm. the 40 as fast as you can 15 times a day. Or, like, what what is the one piece of advice you'd give someone?
1: Yeah. Um, Get leaner. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, That depends on the athlete. But, yeah, typically it's going to be get leaner and get more mobile. Um, And then beyond that, get stronger. With... With that, you know, you want to decrease drag, right? So if we're if we're looking at one piece of ice that can be global for everybody, I guess I'm going to go with get stronger, right? Produce more force into the ground, be able to cover more ground with each step. Um, but beyond that, it gets pretty individualized in terms of the forty. You know, you can uh, you can have a blanket program that's gonna that's gonna accomplish it for anybody. You know, if you look at okay, we're we're going to take a group of freshmen, we're going to have them squat, deadlift, power clean, do that for six months, they're going to get faster, right? Unless you're just, you know, doing like five by twenty or something, something ridiculous. But uh, kids are like a tube tooth, of toothpaste, right? You take the cap off anywhere you push, that toothpaste is coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say get stronger would be the number one thing that I could say that to increase forty time. But uh, anytime you get a kid coming in there, you're going to want to test him at first because if he's a four, if he says he's a four five, he's a four seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you test him first, and then you know, like a lot of kids, you look at okay maybe their acceleration is really good but their top end speed isn't where it needs to be or maybe their acceleration isn't isn't phenomenal but their top end speed is really nice so if they look they look like crap from 0 to 20 but then from 20 to 40 they look phenomenal then strength is going to be a really important thing um you know getting them to come out of the blocks faster so i think that's it you know if you if you get them stronger their their 10 and their 15 yard times are going to go down and then their 40 times will drop
0: mhm And what, uh, in terms of mistakes you see in the weight room? I had mentioned earlier, you get in a CrossFit gym and they're like, "Oh, don't do the curls or don't do this." Uh, What is the what is a mistake you often see in a weight room or high school for high school football players? Too much too soon. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, I think I think you have to have almost three levels to your program. So, I think you've got to have an advanced program because you're going to have some guys who are going to become very good lifters. I think you've got to have a kind of an intermediate program because a lot of your guys are going to be multi-sport athletes. who are never really going to be able to reach a level of proficiency in the weight room. And then I think you're going to need to have a a foundational level kind of uh, introduction to strength program. And I think that's where most athletes need to be for a good amount of time. And I think that's, that's what gets slips through the crack, at least here in Colorado, from what I've seen, um, a lot of times guys go in and it's day one and they're given a barbell or it's, it's day one. And you know what, we're going to set the tone for this off season with this, you know, murderous workout. Right. And, you know, kids can handle it because they're 14 years old and they're resilient. But I think if you put too much on them too fast, uh, number one, you're going to burn them out. Number two, you're not going to get everything out of them long-term. You know, if you look at a 14 year old, the end goal should be when he's 18, not, uh game two of his freshman season you know it needs to look at okay how can we build this kid up for the long term and how can we do that in a way that's going to be best and most appropriate for him
0: yeah i think that's a good message uh and then a uh, last one for you just kind of a fun funny question uh what exercise do you see people doing in the wor- weight room the most that serves no purpose oh,
1: man <laughs> how much time do you
0: have uh, yeah
1: that's a, see, that's a tough one. I, I would typically say, you know, like arms or calves, but I really like those, and I think that they serve a really good purpose. Yeah. I'm going to go with crunches. Yeah, I'm going to go with crunches. Um,
0: Just because there's better way to do core stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, your sit up, your crunches, that type of stuff. If you look at how the core re- actually needs to be trained, you know, the best core movement that you can do is a front squat. But the athletes don't understand that. Um, so if you look at you know true core training. I think you need to look at anti-rotation, extension-based exercises. So things like, uh, you know, a plank is probably the most common for that, um, a bird dog or a dead bug or a press or, or something like that is the best way that we can really train the core. And you got, you got know, kids who just like to do their eight-minute abs where they just do, you know, crunches and sit-ups and leg raises and stuff like that. And it makes them look really good, right? It gives them the six-pack muscles. But that doesn't serve a whole lot of purpose, um, you know, as, a, as it goes for, for the athlete, uh, for their athletic performance, of course, uh, we talked a lot about confidence today. I and mean, I guess if you give a six-pack to a sixteen-year-old kid, that's going to help his confidence. Yeah, that's yeah, a double-edged sword.
0: Yeah, you got to look good on the beach, I guess. Summer's coming. It's important.
1: <laughs> it's important. You guys, back at you got to look like uh, the University of Miami in the '90s. That's right. The, the crop tops and the abs showing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great documentary on ESPN. The U. Those guys were nuts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been awesome uh, to have a strength and conditioning focus. March was our strength and conditioning month for FNF coaches, so it's been great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for uh, being a guest on the podcast.
1: All right, sir. Thank you so much. This is fun.
0: Thanks to Coach Van Valkenburg for joining the podcast and sharing his experience of inspiring others through his platform. Follow him on Twitter at FB strength Visit his website, footballstrengthcoach.com. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star review on your preferred platform. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production.